Um, could could somebody go into this car and like hack the computer and replace it for like virtual riot samples or something? <laughs> so like, <laughs> if they like accelerate, it's just like wow, 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 all these bases and shit. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. My name is Robert Fumo. Today on the show we have Smiganot. He is a globe-trotting performer and DJ and sound designer. Before we jump into this interview, I want you guys to head over to MrBillsTunes.com and become a hardcore Abletoneer and receive instant access to Ableton courses, project files, sample packs, live streams, members-only tutorial content, early access to the podcast, and all of Mr. Bill's tour information. Once again, MrBillsTunes.com, and let's jump into this interview. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. All right. Um, yeah, welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I appreciate you reaching out and uh, and suggesting to have a chat because, yeah, I've known about your work and stuff for a long time, but never never chatted with you. So nice to meet you. And, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, sure thing, man. I really appreciate you uh, having me on the show. I've been a, I've, uh, been a listener for a good while, so I've always... Uh, enjoyed the conversations with uh, all the varied guests and uh yeah yeah appreciate uh you having me on yeah of course so uh you produce your own beats but like your career has sort of gone uh less so in the direction of shows and more so in the direction of like sound design work right yeah i would say for the most part i mean i i feel like they sort of run in parallel um but yeah for the most part, like as far as a more traditional career goes, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly uh, kind of focusing on professional sound design uh, for the past few years now. Um, and more broadly, I've worked in kind of the audio field for, I guess, the past decade now or so, which is kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah uh how did you get into sound design stuff like how do you decide to start pursuing that and then what are the sort of first moves that you need to make to get heavily into that because i've thought about um doing like sound design for games or films or something like that at points in my life um but yeah i never really knew where to start with that i've, I've asked a few people and they always say the same thing they're like make a demo reel just like get some clips replace all the sounds of those clips and make like a reel and then send the reel around or something. But I don't know if that's actually true. So yeah, I'd be interested to hear about your, your trajectory in that field. Sure. Um, yeah. So I think that advice is definitely stuff that I've heard, um, as well. And I think that there is a lot of truth to that, which is kind of like, I think difficult for a lot of people at the very beginning of the career. Cause it's like, one of those like chicken or the egg things where it's like, okay, I want to make a reel, but I don't have any credits. So it's like, you know, do I just kind of like, I don't know, like, where do I start basically if I don't have any credits or like actual credits on games or films or whatever to show, um, what do I do? Um, and I think the answer to that is, uh, if, if you're in the sound, if you're interested in a career in sound design and just starting out, um, I think, yeah, like basically finding clips of games you like or films you like or anything like that. Um, and then just kind of like almost doing, I guess what you might call like a sound alike or sound design replacement to those just to kind of show the breadth of, of your abilities. Uh, even if it's not an official credit can definitely go a long way. Um, the way I kind of started out was I graduated from um, I, I attended Berkeley College of Music. And I graduated in 2012. 
and I was in their electronic production and design program, which is oh, interesting. You know, have, were you there? Um, sorry to cut you off. Were you there at the same no, time as Jade Cicada? Yeah, that's uh, that's where me and him met. Oh, awesome. Actually, hell yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was kind of a interesting crop of folks uh, from the scene. Uh, or who are participating in the bass music world uh, were there at the same time I was. I uh, I was in the program the same time as uh, like Bass Two, who's another uh, awesome producer. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Um, yeah, Brandon. Yeah, he's cool. He um he showed me his uh, live set once, and it was. Uh, just like so many stems uh, and he'd like cut all the stems up and like had them all in these tracks and i was like it was just an interesting workflow because he was like yeah so here's my track like I, I made it he makes all of his tracks he said in that same project file and then if he like ever wants to make an addition or edit to any stem he just like duplicates it puts it on another channel does his changes and then freezes and flattens it and puts it back in this this stem channel i was like dude that seems like <laughs> such a crazy workflow but um, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I've, I've always admired that approach because I've, I've, in the sense of like, I think it gives you a lot of flexibility if you're trying to do like some really cool stuff live in terms of like, like when I started performing in Ableton, I, I sort of felt like, um, like, like I wasn't doing enough, uh, you know, like I was just kind of like arranging my track, like I had my fully mixed waveform and then I was kind of just like slowly like fading to another track. So um, definitely like a few, uh, a few homies from that era, uh, including Brandon, were kind of doing the, the full stemmed out thing. And I was always like, man, it must be just fun up there to just kind of like mangle all the stems, you know, in, in real time. But uh, it's definitely like a lot of work uh, ahead of time uh, for sure. And uh yeah, I, I mean, I've always sort of looked at that approach from like giving you awesome flexibility live, but I haven't really thought about it in that sense ever when like producing tracks of my own. So it's kind of interesting. I'll have to poke his brain about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I personally don't really see the point in the stem set thing. I've tried it a few times as well. And honestly, I mean, unless you have like 10 hands and three brains, it's like impossible to to do anything that's in my opinion, uh, like that worthy or like that sounds more interesting than the original thing that you produced. And also like when I'm producing music, I'm spending like, you know, hours on milliseconds of the song. So it's, you know, why in the, in the time, like in the moment of a live set, just go like, Oh, I'm going to put a fucking beat repeat all over it. And like, or something like that. I, I, I think, it, I don't know. I, the way that I've like, but, but I did, however, want to solve the problem of not being bored on stage and having a lot of flexibility to perform and do different things. And the uh, solution I came up to is just mixing on CDJs really quickly. So yeah. just mixing tracks really fast, then I'm never bored and I'm just playing the music that I have for people. And then also the other thing I hate about stem sets is you finish a track and then there's like a whole other like few hours of work just to get it into your set. Whereas when I'm doing stuff this way on CDJs, I can literally make a track on the plane ride on the way to the show and then just render it and play it. Yeah. So I kind of, I kind of like that type of like, it's an, it's a different sort of flexibility almost. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've, I've kind of like, I definitely consider myself like a producer first, um, you know, in like the producer DJ, uh, spectrum i guess but like uh i i play on cdjs as well and it's i used to dj like in ableton where i would do this thing where i would basically put all the tracks that i wanted to play my own and just other tracks that i like in like columns in session view to the side of my quote-unquote decks and i would literally like copy and paste on the fly like the tracks I wanted to queue up next, basically. And this was like before I'd ever even touched CDJs, just kind of like trying to do in Ableton what my understanding of DJing was up until that point um, and kind of harness like the improvisational side of it. So I'd have just like 
all these tracks, which was basically my library and like columns to the right. And I would just copy and paste them and put them in each deck on the left and just kind of crossfade them uh, decade to deck B. And I had a lot of fun with that for a while, but then like I actually tried, you know, actual CDJs and I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is like that, but like fully designed for what that sort of live experience is supposed to be. So I've, I've definitely, yeah, exactly. with you. yeah, they've totally optimized CDJs for this specific thing. So to rebuild it all in Ableton, is just, I don't know, it seems redundant and yeah, a little, I don't know, waste of time in my opinion, but I know that some people get a lot of value out of playing that way. And obviously, uh, people do amazing sets that way too. So I don't know, waste of time for me, but ne not necessarily everybody. So you work at uh, Isotope, yeah? So I I have worked at Isotope. Um, I don't work there currently. Um, for the past eight months or so, I've been working at a an electric car company uh, called Fisker. Um, but before that, I was at Isotope for about six years um, doing a number of different roles there. My last role was as a sound designer um, and then later as a senior sound designer. Um, but it was honestly more... Uh, sound, the role of sound designer at Isotope uh, was very interesting because it was very much like product design as well as like traditional sound design. Like I would work on a lot of the presets that ended up shipping with uh, many of the products, but also just kind of had a deeper hand in like helping to build the product itself, if that makes sense. Just kind of like helping to scope like, okay, like what are the controls going to be? What is this thing that, you know, the engineers are working on going to do over here kind of thing, right. which was a very, very interesting and rewarding challenge. Right. So like what what's like an example of uh, something that you're building presets for and then helps with the design for and some like what, what what features have ended up in what since due to things that you've said at ice tube sure um so i'd say like the the product that i had a hand in uh the most there while i was working was in the, the ozone um plugins uh most recently ozone 10 and then ozone 9 before that um so I, a lot of like the new features that were being developed in like each version, like I think out of all of the features, like I would say like my, my baby quote unquote <laughs> out of the time that I was there was a, a low end focus in Ozone 9. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, you've messed around with that at all, but. It, I, it, I have it. I don't really use it that much. What does low end focus do? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of this like novel approach to low-end control that sort of employs this like uh sort of contrast like if you were to think of it in terms of like a visual spectrogram or something like that you know like almost like contrast on like an image processor like photoshop or something i'm not really like a a graphics person but like you know if you think of like the contrast control on like a photo app or something um sort of applying that to audio in the sense of like making the sort of louder more prominent frequencies louder and the quieter less prominent frequencies more quiet so it applies that so kind it's of like uh it's basically like an expander on your subs yeah yeah, in a in a in a way, like a more kind of yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good analogy. Although it's not quite an expander. Um Right. It's like probably doing a spectrally with an FFT versus just like peak amplitude, right? Something like that. I I admittedly am am not as it's been so long since I've I've thought about it, but um it's yeah. uh yeah, so it kind of had this unique effect on on the low end of track specifically. Um you know, so we were able to kind of take that and, and build it into this module called the uh, low end focus. Um, and I spent a, a good amount of time working on, you know, that feature uh, in particular. Um, 
and uh, a few other ones, like most recently in Ozone 10, um, you know, there were a, a couple features that, that I helped out with. Um, I think in Ozone 10, the, the modules that they added, if I recall, it seems like it's not that long ago, but it seems like a lifetime ago. Um, the impact module, which is kind of an auto dynamics um, type of thing, like kind of a, a dynamics module, but very simplified, like sort of you have uh, a fader that goes up and the more you bring it up, it makes your transients punchier um, and, and sort of has that kind of like expansive uh, expander effect. And then you pull the fader down and it glues everything together, more like a compressor effect. So kind of like taking mm. the parameters of a dynamics processor, compressor, expander, et cetera. And just and giving kind of, them like one macro knob basically for it. Right, yeah. Um, but rather than, you know, sort of taking a bunch of like different things and like mapping it to a macro, it's kind of employing some kind of cool, uh, you know, new newer type of stuff um, that I, I admittedly, it's it's been so long that I don't even know if I could comfortably <laughs> speak to what, what it's doing with... Uh, the best accuracy, but de definitely uh, some cool tools that, um, you know, I've had the pleasure of kind of repurposing in, into uh, uh, cool features that hopefully people get some great use out of and help make their music sound better. Nice. And you said recently uh, you started working at an electric car company called Fisker and you told me on Twitter that you were designing sounds for these cars. And I've heard about this type of work before. I think Richard Devine did this as well for, um, uh, I can't remember the car, I think it was Jaguar. Uh, and from what I hear, they legally, electric car, like any car, legally has to make a certain amount of noise because if it doesn't, uh, like, people hard of hearing or even people not hard of hearing uh, becomes like a danger to them because they can't hear the car coming and, and that's one of the sensors that we use a lot to tell if traffic is around us. So they put little speakers on uh, the outside of the car and then people like you have to design sounds for them so they play this sound outside the speaker because they're so quiet. Is that correct? Is that your job at the moment? Yes, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um... Yeah, that that's kind of um, so. When I was first applying for the job, um, and when I was first kind of uh, reached out to about getting an interview, um, I was I was also kind of curious, you know, about like sort of what sound design for an electric car might entail. And so I went down this rabbit hole and learned about what's what's called a AVAS sound, uh, auditory vehicular alert system. Um, and you know, it's a relatively new type of sound just because electric cars in the grand scheme of things are relatively new technology and sound is based on a regulation, um, that electric vehicles, because otherwise they're just more or less completely silent, uh, at lower speeds need to, as you said, emit some level of noise to warn pedestrians um, as they're approaching uh, for safety reasons. Um, and I believe that it's it's something like zero to 30 kilometers per hour or zero to 18 miles an hour, if I'm getting that conversion right. Um, that they legally have to kind of emit some sort of noise. And what's kind of interesting is I, I feel like a lot of uh, companies have sort of taken it as uh, an opportunity to, for for almost like a sonic branding experience. Yeah, yeah, you know? makes sense. Um, so so I that is something that, uh, myself and, and my team have, have worked on over the past few months. And, um, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, you're basically, you're basically like kind of composing like some, some sort of ambient music, uh, <laughs> that's being emitted from your, from, uh, from a car. Um, and, uh, right. yeah, it's and, a lot of fun. And, and is this ambient music that you're, 
uh, riding for these cars, is it more of like a generative patch that uh, emits sound when the car is going and when it doesn't, or is it just like you make wave files and then these wave files play back whilst the car is moving? Yeah, it, like is, it, it is. Is it synthesized in real time with the car, or is it just uh, like samples that get played back? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it is sample based, um, you know, which is kind of a unique challenge uh, because you sort of have to. Yeah, a lot of it is sample based, uh, just in in my uh, specific experience. So, like, um, yeah, working with like very small loops of audio that uh, I create and kind of finding ways to yeah it's it's not really generative in in any specific way beyond just kind of like finding loops that make sense in a way that a meet these regulations because that is like an important part of it um you know you have to like meet specific frequency thresholds and a few other things um but also are aesthetically pleasing and you know fulfill their purpose but are also like pleasant to listen to hmm. and and maybe also kind of create like a cool sonic uh blueprint for for the vehicle yeah that makes sense so how many of these loops do you have to make for this car or is it just sort of like a couple of really good ones that just get played back every time yeah it's a couple of really good ones um it's like from a complexity standpoint in terms of like, you know, if, if you're thinking about what I'm doing versus like a session for like, I don't know, a sound designer at a game company or a sound designer at for a film or something, you know, you see some of those screen grabs from some of the films and they're, they're just like hundreds of tracks. Um, that's definitely not kind of what I'm working with. We're working with like a, not many elements at all but i think the challenge in some ways it's more challenging to work with like so few elements than it is to work with so many because you really have to make very minor adjustments as the project continues in order to just make sure everything is copacetic right right so is the process like you make a sound and then you give it to them and then they go like no and then you adjust it a tiny bit and you send it back and then they, they say no and then is that how it works or like how, how can this be like a three month or however many month job I, I imagine that you would just make like a some ambient car noise stuff and give it to them and it needs a few probably tweaks and then it's good to go or yeah how is it how is it working in that sense yeah um that's a good question um it's very iterative. Uh, it's very iterative to, to put it simply. Um, and you know, that this is, uh, there, there's also just like a lot of, yeah, I mean that that's basically what happens where it's like, you know, we try something and sort of pass it along, um, to be evaluated and, based on feedback, we get it back and just kind of continue to iterate on it that way. And, um, I think at the end of the day, like the goal is to create a balance between something that the team is happy with and, and everybody's happy with, uh, in terms of like how it reflects the vehicle, but also, you know, meets all the requirements and everything like that. And, and that can be, of a very ongoing conversation, you know, just based on how many plates everybody is spinning at once, so to speak. Um, so, you know, a lot of times like myself or, uh, myself and some of my teammates will come up with an idea and, you know, we'll pass that along and, and it could kind of be a while until we sort of get, uh, any actionable feedback on it at which point we're like okay feedback ingested and then we kind of go go back and respond to that feedback um and even even if it doesn't take 
a super long time to create the idea or the sound to begin with. Um, it can sometimes, um, you know, I, I feel like you have to be like very responsive and sort of be ready to act at like any time, just sort of depending on when any feedback is given. Um, so, so that process can take, um, you know, can take a while, but, uh, yeah, I did a project for Google a while ago where I had to make what were called earcons um, for an app. They, I guess they call them earcons, but you know it's a play on the word icons, mm -hmm. and they were just like UI sounds for an app. And yeah, it was the same kind of deal. Just make a couple of really good sounds, and then they give you feedback, and then you adjust. Uh, so I'm curious, what do these sounds sound like that you're making for the car? Is it kind of just like ambient pads? Is it musical at all? Or is it more like Foley based stuff that sounds like an actual, like it's re related to the sound of an actual gas car or like what type of sounds are these? Sure. Um, well, yeah, from my perspective, I definitely took, you know, I'm a musician, I'm a producer. I, I wanted to approach it in a very musical way. Um, so at least the way that I have approached it has been from a very like musical inspiration or influence. Um, definitely a lot of pads, but also just kind of a lot of rolling like drones. Like there's some, you know, kind of bass drones in there and a few sort of oscillators like with various like sign and even like filtered square tones that kind of come in and out and, um, you know, a little bit of like sort of ambient noise here and there, um, that kind of changes in pitch as, you know, the car accelerates and some new elements are introduced as the car accelerates as well. It's sort of this very like evolving responsive sound that ultimately does change and is dynamic as the, as the car increases in speed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's something that we, we, I think the challenge is like, we do want something that, that doesn't get tiring if you are continuing to hear it. So, uh, <laughs> there are times where I'll, I'll be at work and just working on the sound and like, it'll just be on in my headphones and I won't even realize that it's like playing. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, working on something else. And I'm like, yeah, that's not so bad. And I'm like, I guess, I guess we, I guess we're getting it right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know that's kind of a vague answer, but um, yeah, it definitely like a lot of like bass drones. Like I, musically speaking, I was thinking a lot about uh, Radiohead as I was designing it. I, I don't know if you listen to them much, but um, I, yeah, I have in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of some of their more like ambient, like far out electronic inspired stuff, like from Kid A or uh, Amnesiac that might give you an idea of some of the ideas that trying to work with or uh, that have been informing my my work on it in any case right and are you mostly generating the sounds with synths or are you sort of just mixing mixing like synths and recorded sounds and doing all sorts of stuff to like stretching them and all that kind of stuff yeah main, mainly synths honestly um you know a lot of the source material came from uh you know, synths in Ableton. Um, yeah, mo mostly synthesis, honestly. Nothing super fancy, um, but just experimenting with synthesis and various plugins to process it. Uh, Vital is definitely at the heart of a lot of the source sounds, um, which I have been using quite a bit, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, a number of vital patches, a number of operator patches, and kind of trying to almost uh, approach it from like making cool, like starting source material with just sort of like one note, little chunks of audio, kind of like you would during like a bass design session even maybe, and trying to create some movement within those little chunks. Um, mm. so, so that you do almost have like some generative, even if it's not like really generative, uh, it sort of creates this generative feel where you have all of these subtle variations in the source material. Um, and then something fun that I had when I was 
working on creating the sound is is working with loops of varying lengths. So say you have this like bass drone that's like five seconds long and maybe like a a little amplitude oscillating thing that's like two seconds long and another similar thing with like some ring mod that has amplitude modulations that's like 1.5 seconds long and you almost create these like unique polyrhythmic uh, beats basically um, that it's almost like a binaural beat kind of yeah yeah um, it almost feels generative even if it's not actually generative because it kind of changes as it continues to loop <laughs> yeah that makes sense and so for instance like when the car speeds up have you made a sample specifically that sounds like it's speeding up or have you made a bunch of sounds for each different speed and as the car speeds up, it kind of like fades through those higher speed loops? Uh, kind of the latter. Um, and, uh, you know, this, the, this type of sound in particular has been a, <clears throat> you know, a, co a collaborative process. So like, you know, I'll, I'll work with one of my teammates to kind of figure out how the the sound evolves as the speed increases over time so like yeah over time like different things will be introduced and like think of it sort of like as i'm trying to think of a good analogy here but yeah no it's basically like you know you have this like real time parameter uh that you're controlling so it's like if you're thinking of it basically as like mapping the acceleration of a vehicle to like a midi controller and you have this like synth patch, like what's it going to do as as the knob on your MIDI controller goes from zero to 127. Right. Um, so just trying to think of like really fun, creative ways to introduce new elements that ultimately like musically are appealing, but also serve serve the purpose of, of the sound itself. Um, mm. And yeah, I'm I'm frank, I'm really excited uh, for, you know, for like to share it more. Like it's it's still uh, there, there isn't a lot of uh, footage of it out in the in the wild yet. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, once once more people get to hear the sound because I'm definitely very proud of it. It's one of the cooler things I've, I've done. I think. Hell yeah, yeah. Richard Devine said he did a similar thing. He had a MIDI controller and he made a Max patch. And then he would just like move the fader up and down as if that were the accelerator. And that's oh, how cool. we like figured out how to, And but I think the one in the Jaguar is actually a generative patch that plays back. It's like built in Max for Live or Max or something. And I, and I think it literally runs on a computer in there and, and it's connected to the accelerator if I remember correctly. Um, could, could somebody go into this car and like hack the computer and replace it for like virtual riot samples or something so like <laughs> if they like accelerate it's just like wow 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 all these bases and shit like uh <laughs> i can't i can't speak to that <laughs> unfortunately i i uh i mean <laughs> hopefully uh that i mean that's that is something i uh i have joked about i mean like you know making like a just kind of like a neuro patch or something like just completely like making this sound like some Cohen sound, just like as it's driving around and maybe a, a yeah. few little, uh, virtual, <laughs> virtual riot sounds in that. I mean, um, every time you hit the brake, it's just like a, like a donkey snare or something. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, ho hopefully it's not hackable, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that would be, that'd be kind of, a <laughs> that'd be kind of, uh, interesting, like, you know, maybe sometime down the road, uh, you know, the industry as a, as a whole will, uh, allow people to customize these things in, in fun ways, <laughs> but probably I not. Guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would get like pretty, sh I think it'd be terrible if everyone could replace the sound for whatever they wanted. Like car parks would just sound so insane. Yeah. Or just like traffic would sound so crazy. Yeah. It'd be cacophonous. And also like, you know, uh, I know this is all hypothetical, but like, you know, if, if you were to do that, it would sort of defeat the purpose of like designing the sound to, to fit these, these regulations. Cause like, you know, if you replace, you know, bass drone AVAS sound with like 
you know, uh, just like EDM snare <laughs> version one, there's, there's no way of telling whether that as a loop would, would, uh, serve the regulatory requirements. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming it wouldn't cause people wouldn't register it as a car. They'd be like, what the hell is a snare? And then they're like, Oh my God, it's, it's coming right at me. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine just rolling up to a festival and something like that? <laughs> Yeah, it'd be pretty wild. Um, so other than the isotope stuff and this car stuff, what what else have you done in the sound design world? Um, in the sound design world, uh, I mean, most, that, that kind of covers it as far as like professional sound design. I've done uh, a number of freelance compositional things, um, you know, for various films and and uh just kind of in a freelance uh capacity like i've worked with um i guess you might call it like a a jingle house or a music house um helping to compose compose some things for for third party clients here and there so i do have some experience doing like professional composition but honestly most of the other sound design stuff just kind of goes back into the Smigonaut project and, you know, just from a, like a music producer standpoint, just trying to become a, a better sound designer to better inform uh, the music I make and, and try to, you know, continue to become a sort of a, I don't know, as good, as good of a producer as I can by trying to introduce more complex and interesting sounds in, into my own work. Uh, as I move forward, it's definitely like a different mindset, right? Like, like I, I'm super grateful that I get to design sound uh, for a living, but, um, you know, when, when you're doing it professionally, you sort of have to work within the kind of agreed upon parameters of, of your gig. Um, and this goes for doing freelance composition as well. It's, you know, you don't get like complete creative freedom. It's a collaboration with other people and, you know, the intent behind the people who you work for and the people who you're working with. Whereas like, you know, when you do it on your own, it's kind of like, unless you're collabing with a, with another artist, like, you know, there's no rules. So you can kind of just do whatever you want, which is, um, that's kind of where, where it gets really fun. Um, and then you can take that when you're getting, super experimental with your own stuff and take those lessons and bring them to the professional world and, and kind of introduce some of those cool techniques you learned, uh, into the work you're doing for an isotope or a Fisker. Um, so, you know, the two definitely go hand in hand, but, but yeah, besides, besides those, um, you know, those particular jobs, uh, yeah, most of it's just been in my own, uh, music production yeah nice yeah i kind of honestly i like the some of the um constraints that get given to you in projects like that it just makes you like think a little bit differently and it also forces you to get good at something that you might not necessarily have been good at before like so for instance i did a, a whole film score for this nicholas cage movie and I had to like just it was all like very like chill just synth pulse type John Carpenter shit you know like it wasn't yeah. really music at all it was just it was more like sound designing music where it was just like some synth pulsey thing and then some like ambient like glitchy sort of texture thing underneath it and stuff like that and making nothing but that for like six months definitely informed my next album after that a lot which was Apophenia and yeah I kind of I kind of enjoyed that though, like not being able to just go like, oh, I'm gonna make a banger today. You know, it's like, nope, I have to get better. I just have to do synth pulsy stuff. <laughs> and then because you have to keep doing that, you find like ways to keep it interesting for yourself and whatnot. And I think in doing that, you can you know, learn some things, which is cool. Totally, yeah. It's it's an interesting challenge to kind of get out of your usual creative headspace. I've been meaning to watch that, by the way. I remember hearing a, a couple of years back that that you scored a Nick Cage movie. Is it mom and dad, right? That's what it's called. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Cool. But when, when you think about it though, like making music for, to play at shows and stuff is really not that different. The, there's an agreed upon thing that everyone sort of thinks works and you're working within a, a certain framework, right? Like, 
and within that framework like you can do slightly different things basically but when you think about it it's also a pretty finite amount of uh, things that you can do in that world as well totally yeah no that's that's true i you know i'd love to love to say that like um i yeah i don't know i i definitely that's a good point because like in the electronic music world there's definitely it's interesting to see what people respond to and 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 don't um in terms of like composition and like i definitely get in the headspace of like when i'm producing like oh, will this go off live? Will this not go off live? Why will it go off live? Why wouldn't it go off live? Um, and I think you you got to be careful with that because, like, I think it's important to, like, make music that, like, informs that experience, but also it's good to take chances every now and again too, I suppose. It is, but I think, like, if you go into playing a dance party and refuse to acknowledge that it's a dance party and just like do your own thing completely. It's not a good time for anyone. It's not sure, good yeah. for you because then you go like, oh, people aren't liking it and you get all anxious and shit. And yeah. it's not good for anyone who's there. Well, I mean, they might be enjoying it as well. But yeah, generally I find like when I go into a dance party, you just play bangers, it's better for everyone. You enjoy it more, other people enjoy it more. But it's yeah, fun. I definitely, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, have you messed around much with AI yet in music? Not in music. Um, I've been very curious. Um, I know, you know, there seems to be like a lot of really cool um, exploration happening there. <clears throat> you know, just hearing about the stuff Encanti's uh, doing and um, I'd love to delve more into it. I, I have like very mixed feelings about the whole AI thing. Um, but I am excited at the prospect of like, I don't know, for example, like training a tool on like my music and seeing what kind of sound design comes out of that or something like that. I mean, I'm sort of making assumptions about how any of this stuff works. Cause I frankly don't like, I don't know how, how a lot of it works, but I, I have like a basic understanding on, you know, neural nets and like training them and whatnot. So, so that is something I'd like to explore more, but I haven't really looked into it, uh, in a music making capacity yet, but I'm keeping my eye on it. Um, I definitely want to dive in further. How about you? Yeah, I've been messing around with dance diffusion a lot recently, which is a fork of a GitHub project. Oh, well, it's a, it's a fork of um, stable diffusion. Cool. Uh, so basically, it does everything stable diffusion does, but for audio. So you can train it on stuff, and then you can say generate me a bunch of stuff like that, and it'll it'll do that, which is cool. Um, what I've found the most important thing is for training stuff, is the data set has to be super clean. Mm -hmm. uh, if your data set is like fucked up in the sense like let's say you want to make kicks and i don't know you have like three gigabytes of kick drums so like thousands of them and you know 20 percent of them are like more 8080 or something like that and then 20 percent of them have like a bunch of silence at the end of them then all of a sudden your model uh produces a bunch of like farty subs and silence it also will do a kick drum sometimes but just not as often you know 40 percent of the time it'll be some other thing so yeah, it's kind of, you got to be really careful with the data set going into it, but I've gotten some cool results. Like I've definitely trained it on my music and gotten some interesting musical results out of it. And I, I think it's great as a, like a tool for, um, generating creativity, you know, cause if you get into the studio and you're like, all right, I want to make a tune, but I don't have an idea. It's nice to have something to just spit out ideas. And then you're like, oh, that's cool. That's like a good drop flow or whatever. And then you can put that into your session and sort of build around it to, start making a song uh, yeah. i think one one thing that people uh one argument that i've heard a lot by people <clears throat> is uh if ai can do music or whatever and it can produce like good music then you know it's gonna end artistry and it's gonna discourage people from wanting to make their own music and all this kind of stuff but honestly like i've probably only heard a handful of tracks in my life like maybe less than five times where I've been like, I wouldn't change anything about that track, you know, like mm -hmm. every single track I hear, almost every single track I hear, I'm like, oh, I would change this. I would change that. I'd do this and that, you know, like, and it's, 
uh, like to say that AI is going to just generate endless shit that I wouldn't change at all is in, an insanely doubtful thought, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I so I'm going to be totally honest with you. Like the the AI boom is definitely like the closest I've felt uh, to being like, you know like old man yelling at cloud kind of like <laughs> in terms of this stuff. Uh, it, it just kind of like, I definitely like understand like the, the impulse to sort of be like, okay, like w- what's going on here. Um, but I think like any other tech, uh, I don't know, advancement in, in creative tech, like, you know, we're going to kind of catch up to it. And I think we're, we're only going to benefit in the long run run from having like more creative tools, uh, at our disposal. And it, it is kind of just like another evolution of that. And I think like in the next five years or 10 years, like we're all like, you think about like the DAW, right? Um, I remember, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've only ever, started producing in a DAW, you know? So you think about like, I don't know, the, the, the way things were done from like a music production standpoint for decades where band goes into studio with big console and mics connected and, you know, engineer or producer would mix in the console. Um, you know, when the DAW came around, seems to me like that was like a pretty disruptive thing um you know so it's 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 not apples to apples but i think when you're kind of in the moment of a big advancement in creative tech it's a lot easier to kind of put blinders on and i'm i'm trying to recognize that in myself because there's definitely like when i hear about for example like all this stuff about like oh we put drake in the weekend into a fake song or we covered you know (laughs) uh a Lincoln Park song with like the guy from Papa Roach or whatever. I'm just like making stuff up, <laughs> you know, like, but like, uh, you know, it, it is kind of like that there are parts of me that are like, yeah, but why though? Why? Like what's wrong with the original, um, music of those artists or whatever. But at the same time, like, I don't think they're making it because they want to make a better version. I think right. they're just doing it because they can. And it's funny. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's what I'm saying is like, I kind of have to like pull myself back and be like, eh, you know, let people play with new technology, you know? Yeah, exactly. The, the other thing I've uh, heard a lot from people is, oh yeah, it can only do this stuff now, you know, like generate kicks and snares and train on three second chunks and all this stuff. But they're like, what about in 10 years when AI kills us all and everything is fucked? And one good argument or one one hopeful argument that I've heard for that is like if you imagine the time when planes started getting created we we're like whoa holy shit you know like over a 10-year period or whatever there was just so much uh innovation for airplanes and they went very quickly from being basically non-existent to being like extremely crazy and fast and could do all sorts of insane shit and we basically just got to this point with planes. Like if you if you were looking at the innovation of planes back then, you'd probably be like, oh man, in 50 years, we're going to have like insane flying cars and shit and like all this sort of stuff. But we basically got to a point with planes where we just stopped innovating on them. We we're just like, oh, it's fine. They do what we need now. No, no need to really fuck with them anymore. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious if AI will just get to a point like that too. Like if we'll get to a point where it um, does what we want it to do and then like maybe we're just on the exponential innovation part of the curve right now, you know. Totally. Uh, but I think AI is also different. And another thing that I've heard a lot of um, technologists, like safety technologists and stuff say is there's a few things that you shouldn't do with AI. One, you shouldn't teach it to code. You, two, you shouldn't teach it about humans. And three, you shouldn't connect it to the internet. And we've done all three of those things. So yeah might be yeah (laughs) um yeah i've listened to a few podcasts that have basically touched on like exactly what you're talking about and yeah it is kind of like i can't tell right now uh whether like we're being more alarmist than we need to be or if this truly is different 
to your point, like if if we just kind of screwed things up before we even got started, if Pandora is just already out of the box and there's no going back. Um, but I also I asked Chat yeah. GPT if it was possible to shut it off, and Chat GPT itself was like, it'd be really hard. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, it takes so much, like, it, it was like, whilst it can maybe be stopped, it's probably not going to, and it would be really difficult even in its current state to stop. There you go. So. Yeah, but that's what it wants you to think, right? And, well, <laughs> I mean, I think if anything, ChatGPT would be trying to lead on that it wasn't, like, a problem. And I think that uh, question inherently goes, like, is this going to be a problem? Like, that's sort of, like, the tone of it. And even it was like trying to be like, uh, I don't, I don't think you can stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I just feel like I'm along for the ride with it at this point. Like, there's definitely times where I've kind of gotten like really existentially, like weird about it. Just kind of like, you know, what's the world gonna become now? That <laughs> like, you know, is like how close is. Uh, AGI or the singularity or whatever. But I also think that there's a lot of like, I've been seeing like a lot of very alarmist, like uh, media coverage about it. Um, I almost kind of equate it to like, I remember like when the pandemic started, um, I don't know. I have this weird thing about like when the pandemic started where like, I, I feel like I, I was not in a good place as I don't think a lot of people were when the pandemic started. Um, and I try to look back and think of how much of it was from like how I was actually feeling at the time and how much of it was just informed by like all the doom scrolling and stuff, you know, just like seeing like article after article about how like we're basically like there's no hope for all sorts of reasons. And now, you know, years later, we're kind of coming out of it. Finally, obviously, like it's still a thing, um, but, you know, we're sort of achieving some semblance of, of normalcy um, years later. And, yeah, I'm just kind of wondering if if this is just like kind of the next wave of like alarmism in that regard. So I'm, I'm trying not to get too wrapped up in that whole cycle and just sort of be curious and, you know, try to take the good with with, you know, whatever bad there might be and you know it's an exciting time that's for sure yeah definitely well yeah that seems healthy man uh hey man i might uh, wrap it up here but i appreciate you coming on and thanks again for uh like reaching out and suggesting that we do this because i enjoyed this conversation a lot yeah likewise so, uh, yeah yeah thanks for having me on again appreciate it Yo, what's up? Thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. This show is produced and edited by Robert Fumo. You can get early access to the show by going to my website, mrbillstunes.com and paying me instead of Patreon. And remember to go rate and review on iTunes or I'm going to come to your house and punch your dog in the throat, upper deck your toilet and fuck your partner. Note, I may or may not do those last couple of things. Uh, you should probably just go rate it on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you listen to the podcast on because it really helps the podcast. Um, but but just know that, that it'll go a long fucking way to me not doing those things if you do go do that. So uh, just, just putting that out there.